Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. The Crossing Church exists to see every person restored to God and to the life He created them to live. And we want to walk through this journey with you. If you need help, prayer of any kind, or if you give your life to the Lord today, send us an email at church@thecrossing.cc. We would love to hear from you so a member from our care team will reach out to see how we can walk through life with you. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Enjoy the message. Good morning to you. Good morning to everybody online. I have to start by an open uh, repentance. It's good for you to see your pastor repent. Um, I mentioned the Cowboys last week in the service, and the wrath of the Lord was opened upon them like one of the bulls in the seven judgments there in Revelation, and they stunk it up. So I'm repenting for mentioning them because when I do, they lose. And I'm also repenting in hopes that the Lord will see this and lead them back to winning again. So let's get that out of the way. So, uh, and as well, uh, gang, so this card that you've got with us, this is going to help you, help us a lot. So uh, th- we're going to be all October, we're going to be uh, raising this and asking you, it takes you about 10 or 12 minutes to go through this survey, uh, the crossing.cc slash survey. It'll help us understand where you are uh, kind of biblically and spiritually a little bit, and that'll help us plan our, our teaching patterns for the 2024 year. As well, there's some thoughts about the church. We need to hear what we're doing well, what we're not doing so well, or areas that we might be able to help or improve. All that's good feedback. We don't take that as, you know, be honest, because we're trying to get better as a church and trying to serve you all, and we want to make sure we're serving the needs that you have. So uh, you help us out with that, all right? Everybody that'll do that, say, I will. I will. See, now you're stuck. The Lord saw that. No, I so appreciate it. This will be very, very helpful and, and really, really, really easy. Uh, I do want to say it one more time. Be very candid. There's some scriptures about, I mean, some questions about uh, your, your spiritual health. Uh, you're going to be tempted to put all tens. This is anonymous. Uh, we really want to know. So again, it'll help me shape sermons and things that we need to be doing. So, all right ruthlessly self-candid when you take this. All right. Uh, Praise God. We are getting into uh, this series is uh, one of my favorite things to talk about, and that is freedom. Pastor, what is freedom? We are free. We live in a nation that's free. What's what's not free? Well, uh, scripturally, uh, it has to do with your your insides, uh, old wounds, thinking, fear. In fact, let me just tee it up this way. Uh, when, when I was coming up in ministry, I was 25 years old. I had a, another pastor that worked with me, Pastor Glenn King. Some of you might know Pastor Glenn. And uh, Glenn, we were uh, being introduced uh, through ministry to what goes on behind the scenes in people's lives. So I grew up in a sort of a culture where uh, don't ask, don't tell. You try to look holy. Uh, don't necessarily out anybody else's unholiness. Let's all act like we're doing a little better than we are, and we'll be at peace. You know, it's kind of like when uh, Adam and Eve sinned, they both wore fig leaves. And I think the deal was this. I won't tell you how goofy you look in fig leaves. You don't tell me how goofy I look in fig leaves, and we'll live in peace. Uh, so Glenn, though, was in charge of counseling. And uh, every week, he would counsel with somebody, and he would come out and say, Brother Randy, he was Jamaican, brother. Can a Christian, and then he would fill in the blank with everything you can imagine. And uh, 
At first, I thought it was odd, but here's what I understand. Everybody's broken. Everybody in here is hiding something. I don't mean hiding in shame. I mean, there's stuff that we're dealing with underneath the surface. And uh, so let me, let me ask you a question. Can a born-again Christian, spirit-filled, Bible-believing, church-going, praying, serious Christian uh, deal with uh, pornography? Yes. Can they deal with uh, an affair? Yes. Uh, can a, a born-again, spirit-filled Christian uh, deal with depression? Yes. Uh, anxiety? Yeah. Uh, uh, nagging shame, guilt. I mean, you, you name it. I mean, I had things confessed to me. I had sin confessed to me. I didn't even know you could do. How did you do that? Um, but, but here's what I want you to know. Uh, what it helped me to do is to realize, because Pastor Randy's broken. Can you be, let me ask you, can you be a, a born-again, spirit-filled pastor, Bible-believing, pray-every-morning pastor, and have bouts with uh, discouragement and depression? Let me tell you, yes. Can you have all kinds of weird thoughts? Yes. Uh, can you struggle with all kinds of fears and insecurities? Uh, yes, is the answer. And here's, gang, what I'm wanting to help you, what you, I want you to know, you know, part of what I want to do in this series is tell you what's normal for the Christian life. What, what happens is we all try to not show the things that are the deeper struggles. The problem with that is we can feel like we're, we're uniquely flawed. Like, man, I, am, I must be weird. Everybody else looks so good. Let me, again, let me yank the covers off. Everybody here is working through or dealing with something. Now, I'm not saying there's not some of you that are walking in some great degrees of victory and strength and confidence. Yes, over some years and overworking, yes. But I promise you, life has a way of dealing you something you didn't see coming and shocking you and, and raising things in you and breaking you in ways you didn't know you could be broken. And because of that, everybody here is in need. Listen, healing's not an event, it's a lifestyle. What we're teaching here, I mean, yeah, I believe you can come up and have an event. Somebody lay hands on you and you'd be delivered. More times than not, healing's not instant. It's a lifestyle. I want you to hear me. Both are available, but don't think it didn't happen miraculously, so it didn't happen. Miraculously meaning instant. Uh, that doesn't mean the miracle's not happening. It just means it didn't happen instantly. I want you to know that so that, here's the other thing I want to help you with. Uh, we've worked too hard. Me, me as a preacher and all of us preachers, we've worked too hard to make Christianity too tidy, too simple. Let's, let's make it simple so that you don't have to do any work and we'll just you know, hand it to you. And I, I want you to understand, God is not looking for a bunch of uh, entitled Christian brats. And he's not some holy Santa Claus. We're at war. You need to hear this. We're at war. And God is raising warriors. And if you were to go and ask the warriors that fight our battles for us, uh, were, was, was your drill sergeant a really nice guy? Uh, he would say, no, that guy tried to kill me. He, he, he did things to me. And if you want to be a special forces person, you, you actually want to be used even greater ways, uh, Navy SEAL, Army Ranger, they really do try to kill you. It's called Hell Week. It's actually Hell Training. And they put you under such duress that they're not doing that to you uh, out of anger towards you. They're trying to save your life and be sure you're capable of saving the life next to you 
by putting you through that kind of training makes you stronger and better. Hear me. You're not going to like to hear this, but I got to be straight with you. Listen, I was 25 years old before anybody in the church got straight with me to help me understand I wasn't as weird as I thought I was. And I'm going to do you a favor today. Uh, There's scripture. God God says this. He left particular, uh, particular enemies of Israel. He actually left them in Israel so that the generations coming up in Canaan would have people to fight so that they could learn how to war. He wanted them to know how to war. Let me say it again. God sovereignly left enemies in Canaan of his people, not because he is mad at them, so they could learn how to fight. And I want to, I'm shooting straight with you. There are things that God will deliver you from that you never have to deal with again. There are some things he will set you free, but he will call you the rest of your life to stand fast in freedom, pushing against that thing. And I can tell you, and that's what I want, I want you to understand. So anyway, at the end of today's message, some of you are going to go, I'm not as messed up as I thought I was. And that's our goal. Uh, but it's also so that you understand what, what got planted in you, the fact that something didn't instantly go away, you didn't do it wrong. There's a lot of things that aren't going to instantly go away. There's some things you'll fight the rest of your life And it's not that you're not powerful enough to overcome them. It's that God expects you. Okay, let me, one more thing. You're going to have to work. I'm sorry to tell you that. That's just so Uh, un-American. Jesus saved you, but you're going to have to learn some things from the Scripture, and you're going to have to go to war for yourself for some things. It's not that you're not judicially free, but you won't experience that freedom if you don't go to war, that's the design of God. And so you, you, I need, and I want you to get excited about the fight, not like, oh man, I thought he's just going to do it for me. Get, get past that baby stage and realize somebody's counting on you to learn how to war. The reason that God doesn't just remove everything is because somebody's counting on you to fight that long battle. You go, God, why don't you just take it away? Why didn't you just do it? Paul said, God, why don't you just take this away? Wouldn't that be easier? Easier, yes, but easy's not what God's up to. Again, that's so non-American Christianity. But easy's not what God's after. Somebody's counting on you to fight your battles and learn how to win because they're going to count on you to come and help them fight. And if you don't go through it and don't learn how to war, what, what you're here to do, which is help others, you won't be capable of it. So kind of spin your attitude a little bit about, why are you letting this happen to me? And when, when, you've, when you've prayed and asked and fought and, done it and you're still in a battle, you say, God, I don't know what's going on here, but I know you are, you are training me for something. Somebody's counting on me figuring this out. And I know between me, you, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, you're going to teach me something so I can help somebody else. And gang, I want you to know, there's nothing more awesome in life than having God actually, I'm not talking about teach you in your head. You've been, you've been to hell and back and you know how to, you, you've actually put the word to work for yourself. You fought, you've won over some years and now you're being asked to go and help another. There's no greater joy than to go and say, you know what? I know what I'm talking about here and I know God will be faithful here. Let me help you. There's no greater joy and you were built for that. So anyway, we're going to get into this series And uh, the answer to our question, can a Christian, can a pastor? Man, you deal with all kinds of things. So here's the, here's point number one as we get this. This message is called setting the table. So I'm just going to kind of set, set the table up for, for our salvation. 
I mean, for our, our healing series. Point number one is this, write this down. The power of the Lord is present to heal at salvation. The power of the Lord is present to heal. Uh, now, I was reading in Luke 5, and this kind of jumped out at me. Luke chapter 5, don't turn there. Go, you guys go to Romans chapter 8. We'll spend most of our time in Romans chapter 8. And if you're ever wondering, where's a place I should spend some time and you don't know where, Romans chapter 8 is a pretty good place. I was in Luke chapter 5, and I was reading through the leper where God delivered the leper. And after that, uh, the, the story of uh, the guys, the four friends coming and cutting a hole in the roof and letting the paralytic in, that story is there, but it begins with these words. Uh, on a certain day, Jesus was teaching, in the, uh, was teaching, and he was teaching Phar Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now, I never saw this before. Pharisees and teachers of the law, and it says this, uh, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I'd never read that before in Luke chapter 5. I knew the presence of the, the power of the Lord was there to, to heal the paralytic. But all these stiff, hard-hearted Pharisees was teaching. And actually, now they didn't all get healed, but the power of the Lord was present and capable of healing them. And the I, I first person I thought of, I thought about old, old Nick at night, old, old Nicodemus. You know, he couldn't, in the group, he couldn't act like he was impressed with what Jesus was doing, but something intrigued him to go, Man, something's going on in my heart, and I can't argue with it anymore. I got to go figure this guy out. And he went and found it. The power of the Lord was present. Now, I want you to know, the power of the Lord is present to heal you. That doesn't mean you're going to get healed. But you need to know, at salvation, it's available. So let me explain. What happened at salvation? Here's the first thing. At salvation, your spirit was made perfect. Say this. You have a spirit. You have emotions. You have thoughts and you have flesh. Of, of those four things, the only thing that was perfected at salvation was your spirit, okay? Let me show you here in Scripture. Ephesians 1, 13, laying groundwork, you're going to need this, says, in him you also trusted. That is a salvation, that's salvation language. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, that is you, to the praise of his glory. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Let's look at that for a second. Sealed, what does that mean? That means at salvation, you were born again in your spirit. The Holy Spirit came and sealed, perfected, your spirit, and it's sealed. The contaminants of your flesh can't get to it and contaminate your spirit. The weirdness of your brain and all the toxic talks, they can't undo what the Holy Spirit has sealed. Vacuum sealed, the only thing ready about you at salvation. Salvation does all kinds of things, but what it, here's what, it absolutely does this. It seals your spirit, and the moment you say yes to Jesus, bend your knee, and he saves you, your spirit is heaven ready right that second? You tracking with me? Your thoughts aren't. Your emotions aren't. Your flesh isn't. Let me, let me keep going here. Your spirit is made perfect. Uh, Hebrews 12, 23. It's talking about what salvation is. And, and this writer says, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children. That's what happened at salvation. Whose names are written in heaven. Your name was written in heaven. 
You have come to God himself at salvation, who's the judge of all things. Now check this. You have come to the spirits. Everybody say the spirits. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who've now been made perfect. You've, you've, you've joined all the other spirits that got saved that were made perfect. Everybody say this. My spirit is perfect. My spirit is perfect. It's the rest of me that's messed up. <laughs> so I, just, I, I just want you to begin to, to, to recognize something came to live inside of you that's quite capable of straightening this other stuff out. But that doesn't happen instantly. But your spirit got, got healed instantly. If you were to die right now, regardless of your toxic thoughts, your weird emotions, or your fleshly urges, and those are the three things that, that are, are contending against you right now. Toxic thoughts, damaged emotions. Some of you have been through things as children that you suppressed and pushed away that have been shaping your life, shaping the way you think, shaping the way you interpret how people look at you, shaping the way you think God sees you. And to you, it's as, it's as solid a fact as ever it was, and you couldn't be more wrong. I'm not saying that as a right and wrong thing. I'm saying it's because we're damaged, and it causes us to interpret life a, a certain way, and you can be healed. It, it, it could be instant. But more than likely, it's going to be you going to work to believe the word of God above your emotions. All right? Let's keep going. So damaged emotions, thinking patterns, fleshly urges. This is what I'm going after. So uh, now to Romans 8. Point number two is this. My point, the power of the Lord is present at salvation to heal you. Healing doesn't mean instant always. All right? Point two, the spirit is now present to lead us to wholeness. Lead us to wholeness. Romans 8 says, and Christ now lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin. In other words, this isn't going to get saved. Uh, it's got all kinds of ugly in it. And here's the deal. No matter how much you spend to heighten, whiten, lighten, tighten, or brighten, all that there is about your body, ultimately, it's going to, it's going it, your, this body can't be saved. Now, if you think about it correctly, that's good news. My spirit, because you're going to get a new body. I will be 6'4", at least in heaven. I'm going to be tall. <laughs> All right. Even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives life because you've been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. So even though, though there are urges and all kinds of things in this flesh pulling against you, because the spirit's present, he can give life and push even against this flesh. Stay with me. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Right? It doesn't say the urges go away. It says now that Jesus has come, there's a new sheriff in town. And no longer are you obligated. In the Greek, that word, uh, uh, no obligation, the Greek means owned, enslaved by, and therefore obligated. In other words, before Jesus, whatever your flesh said, whatever feels good, you do it. Oh, I just couldn't help myself. Uh, uh, you know, all men do it. I mean, all, we got all of these 
things that we can't help ourselves. Our flesh is driving it. When Jesus comes in, there's a new sheriff in town. And here's what, if you, if you were to look at um, Romans 7, and we don't have time to get into it, but Romans 7, Paul goes through the two natures. Uh, your sin nature didn't leave you. Has anybody noticed when the Spirit of God came to live inside of you? Paul says it this way. I, I would hope and pray that I would just be delivered of my sin nature, but it didn't go anyway. It hangs out in my flesh. But now I've got this holy nature, and in my spirit, I want to please God. But in my flesh, I want to do all this sinning. And the two of them, the thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this craziness? I mean, can anybody relate to that? Man, God, I want to please you, but I got these nasty urges. But oh, ah, uh, oh, ah, uh, what am I to do? I mean, that's a recipe for condemnation, except he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me? Jesus Christ and his blood and his salvation can save me. In this situation, and therefore, in Romans 8 starts, there is therefore now no condemnation for we who are in Christ Jesus, still fighting this battle, still having urges. You can interpret those urges and go, man, something's wrong with my salvation. I thought I did it right. You did it right. They don't go away. You, don't, you can't just pray them away. Oh, God, I wish I didn't have that temptation. Join the crowd. Yes, I believe some people have been saved and instantly delivered from drugs or alcohol or something. It's possible. But ultimately, you're going to have to learn to war by faith, by what's inside of you. And here's what it says. Therefore, now no condemnation for we who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. This is Romans 8, 1, 2. The law of the government, the king, and a new law has come to live inside it. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the old law, from the law of sin and die. Sin and die was all you had before Jesus. You're going to die because you're a sinner. That rules your life. But now a new sheriff has come into town and said, you're not running anything. I now own Randy Harvey. And there's a new law in town. It's the law of, of, of the life in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus' record in my life, I am right with God and now I have a new spirit, and Romans 8 goes on to talk about what it means to be led by our spirit. Y'all still tracking? Okay, I'm laying groundwork, but you need to know that the Word of God verifies you can be free. It also verifies you're going to need to do some work. But you've got the working tools here. I keep going. Give you life, your mortal body, same spirit. Okay, verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you are not under obligation to do your, what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose your salvation. It means everything God intended for your life to be, it won't happen if you continue to surrender to all the thoughts, all the broken emotions, all the urges, all the sin. Your marriage could die. The call on your life could die. What, what could have been could, could die. It could all die, right? But... But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death, who puts to death the deeds of the flesh? You. If you put to death the deeds of the flesh. I know you're not going to be happy with me after this service, but I'm doing you a favor to tell you. If you'll get to, some of your freedom hasn't happened because you're waiting for him to come and rescue you. And he's saying, I've already set you free, but I want you to find the truth that sets you free, and I want you to 
I want you to fight because I'm trying to do something in you and just everything were actually happening to you it would not do you any favors. You put to death the deeds of your sinful nature and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. In other words, only people of God uh, who are saved can be led to this wholeness. Verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, neither to your bondages nor to God. You're not a fearful slave of God. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. His spirit joins with our spirit, vacuum seals it, heaven ready, and confirms and affirms you're children of God. Let me ask you, do you feel saved all the time? I don't. I don't feel saved. Our, our, our thoughts and our feelings are, are, are intricately connected. We separate them to talk about them, and we will. But one of the things that has to happen is we have to separate our I don't feel loved. I don't feel spirit-filled by God. I'm talking about constantly. If you don't know the truth that I'm speaking to you, you will assume every feeling is a fact, right? You, you will assume, I, I felt like she was mean to me. It's a fact. She was mean to me. You'll imagine what somebody, what's in somebody else's brain that you don't even know. You'll react to it, and you'll start this vicious cycle. When you have rejection wounds, right? Anybody? Let me ask you. I'll, I'll, I'll get, if you for wondering, I don't have rejection wounds. Okay. Uh, when somebody doesn't like your picture on Facebook, if there's 625 likes, and you say this, you know, so-and-so didn't like my picture. You have got rejection wounds. You're interpreting life. Like, it could be they just didn't get on Facebook that day. Call me crazy. If you add tone to your text, you add the tone. Oh, they're saying, good morning. I bet good morning. It just, it was a good morning. You've got issues. These are the, and these are, this is everybody. This is training and conditioning of our, of our, of our soul. It's a mess. We now have power within us, the Holy Spirit. Let me show you this. It's cool. Romans 8 says this. Now that you're saved, the Holy Spirit is inside now to start helping you deal with these things. Romans 8, 26, continuing Romans 8. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Somebody say, thank God. For example, when we do not know how to pray, what he wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying for the Spirit pleads for us in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Little example here. At salvation, this is a puzzle. This is actually a box cover to a puzzle. 
I couldn't find a puzzle of Jesus because I was at Walmart and I was limited. So I found a puzzle of my life. You got a little cabin here. You got a truck to go get the deer when you knock one down in the deer stand. You know what I'm saying, fellas? Got a place to fish here, a little, little, little dog there that never comes in the house. Uh, just a personal thing there. All right, so when you get saved, if, if we were to continue in Romans 8, that's why Romans 8's a big deal. Romans 8 says this, whom he foreknew he did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean? Predestined, it means he, it means to give you a destiny beforehand. He determined when you got saved, you're gonna look like the finished piece. You're gonna look like my son. You tracking with me? When God relates to you, he doesn't relate to you in the broken mess that you are right now with all your toxic thoughts, all your urges, all your habits you're fighting. Because his spirit is in you and locked and sealed, he already has determined you are going to look like Jesus, kicking and screaming a hundred years, a thousand years. But you're going to look like this. And so I'm going to relate to you like I've predetermined you will be, because to me, you are. Right? So to, to God, that's who you are. It's called positional righteousness. Okay? To you, that's what you look like. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is at work and he knows what the will of God is, right? And he is working. The reason that all things work together and fit together for those who know God and who are called according to his purpose, the only way that can happen is that you have, the scripture calls him a paraclete. It's one who comes along beside you to both coach you, train you, and empower you to become what the will of God is. Even when you don't know how to pray, he prays the will of God. He knows what the cover looks like for you. And listen, he is a bear. You think the whole, we, I was taught my whole life, the Holy Spirit, he's so fragile, he's so fragile. I have not found that to be the case with me. I've actually found him to be strong, to say, we are not doing that, Harvey, back off. I've, he has shut doors that I thought, Lord, that would have been, he has shut doors in my life. I would say this, forcing me, forcing me to take steps I would have never taken because he was pushing me in the path that was the will of God. This is your position. Yeah, praise the Lord. Uh, you're, you're not, it's not happenstance. The Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit. He's not guessing what this is supposed to look like, gang. He's not going, well, what do you think? How do you feel today? He is determined to get you here, but he also knows that's your, that's your position. This is your condition. This is according to this, your, your 2,000 small obedience is all in the same direction away from looking like this. Just 2,000. Let me tell you some good news. Sometimes you're going to find some pieces of the red. You're going to know it's the truck in your progress, and you're going to start clicking them all together and go, oh, look at this, man. I am growing. I am just killing it. I, boy, I don't have any temptations. I'm killing it. There, there are days, gang, I feel invincible. Like, I am so spiritual, I could call fire down from heaven. Clicking those pieces together. 
Then there'll be months when this thing sits on the coffee table and you go, no progress. Pastor, why are you telling me this? I'm telling you what's normal. I'm telling you what's normal to take some of the shock. Did I tell this congregation the, the baby thing? Yeah, so let me tell you. I'm sorry. Uh, ladies, let me ask you a question. If you got pregnant for the first time, if you didn't know putting on a few pounds, a few, was normal, you would think, oh my God, what's happening to me? I, something's wrong with my body. If you didn't know that throwing up for the first three months was normal, you would think, oh my gosh, I'm gaining all this weight, but I'm throwing up all the time. I'm sick, I must be dying. And then when those labor pains, now listen, I'm talking as if I've had a baby. I've never had a baby. I don't recommend it. Uh, I've seen a woman have a baby. And gentlemen, if you don't have a thing to thank God for, you look over at your wife, if she's had a child, you fall on your knees and throw your hands up and go, thank God I'm a man. It is awful. But when those labor pains start kicking in, if you didn't know that was normal, man, you would think, oh my God, man, I am dying. I'm dying right now. But if a mom came and put her arm around and said, baby girl, this is normal. This is normal. Uh, yes, it really does hurt. And yes, you are throwing. But listen, this is normal. You're, you're freaking out because you don't know what normal is. You can relax. This is normal. What Pastor Andy's doing for you today, this is normal, gang. This is every single believer has, if you've given your life to Christ, the Spirit of the Lord lives in you. Now, we are unique. Here's the beautiful thing about our wonderful counselor. Everybody in here has got uniqueness. And uh, we're not all doing it exactly the same way. But God, custom that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. He custom fits our life force. He custom programs us. He custom trains us for what's both broken and what we're going to be doing. That's what's going on right now. Over these next few weeks now, we're going to be talking about how to snap some of this together, how to work with the Holy Spirit. But as much as anything, if you're in this room and you thought, I am just uniquely flawed. No, you're not. You're not. It's normal. I, Pastor, you don't know my secret battles. Again, I've had stuff confessed to me. I don't even know how you do it. I, and, and, but let me, let me back this up. Pastor Randy has thoughts that would, you, you wouldn't come to church here if you knew I dealt with them. How's that? And perhaps next week it'll be empty in here. <laughs> but I don't want to play games with you. I'll tell you a little bit of a story. Let, let, me, let me give you a quick thing. Here's point number three, and I'm going to bring the plane down. Everybody understand you've got a, a perfect spirit. The Holy Spirit is living there, and he's ruling and reigning, but you've got to cooperate. You can't say no. You can resist the Holy Spirit. You can push against him. You can offend. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Learn to, to obey. And you'll be hard-headed, but you'll learn. So, point number three, five toxic streams from our sinful nature that we all have to deal with, and there's more than this. Uh, just look at them real quickly. Shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, 
and fear. We're going to talk about some of these in, in the weeks to come, but just, just take a look at that. Uh, uh, dealing with shame, dealing with unforgiveness. You know, honestly, it's, it's, I, I praise God. He's, he's made forgiving others easy for me. So far, I, mean, I think I told somebody this week, you could punch me in the face right now. And by two or three hours, I'd laugh about it. I'm grateful for that. Uh, and I'm sure somebody here is going to figure out a way to offend me in a way now. Because <laughs> I said that. But I, I also understand some of you have been injured so violently that the need for justice and vengeance, it, it, you, and until that vengeance, you see it, you have a really difficult time releasing. We're going to help you with that. Rejection, condemnation, fear, there's other things. But I want you to see these these as toxic streams. And here's what I'm calling them. These are little kings. They're little kings. Before Jesus, they're big kings. But when you get saved, I would like to say these things all become easy. Let me shoot real straight with you. They're dethroned. You're no longer obligated to them. But they don't go away. They no longer have authority, but they don't go away. Now, let me tell you a story. And by that, what I mean is, I mean, God may miraculously just remove something. And listen, if that happens for you, you praise the Lord. But don't feel like something didn't happen right if you don't get miraculous instant. There's some things you're going to deal with the rest of your life. And by deal with, I don't mean you're not free. I mean, God's going to require you to enforce his authority in your life because you need the workout and somebody's counting on you staying strong. Okay, so let me, let me kind of share where this all birthed and then we'll, we'll call it. Uh, those of you that have been a long time, you've heard these stories, so you can, you can check the football scores. Uh, the, you can start your survey. Uh, I was raised in a culture, saved at seven, but I was raised in a church culture, and I'm very thankful for First Assembly of God Church, Pastor Joe Barnes, Huntsville, Texas. Very, very thankful. Raised, though, in the 60s and 70s. And Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, the presentation, the preaching was, Randy Harvey, you're going to hell. If there's any sin in your life, you're going to hell. Back then, we were coming out of the Jesus movement, and revival, revival preaching is hell eternal damnation because somebody that doesn't know Jesus needs to hear that so that they can get saved. Well, that's good for getting saved. Our culture thought the way to keep you saved is to preach hell and damnation Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I didn't understand what I'm teaching you. And no one told me, or I missed it. Because here's what, I, here's, here's what I thought. Every time I sinned, I lost my salvation. Now, that's not correct theology, but I was raised to believe when you come to the altar and you're forgiven, now you're saved. But if you're going home and you cuss somebody, now you're not saved. But if you'll repent, now you're saved again. But if you have a dirty thought, out. So it's like saved, unsaved, saved, unsaved. And the, the truth was, all of that, 
if I didn't do the repenting and, and you had to remember your sins, I mean, what if you don't confess one of them? This was challenging. Now listen, from the time I was three, four, five, six, seven years old until I was 18 years old, I, I never heard anyone confess their own sin. What was happening underneath for me was this. I wanted to go to heaven. I mean, we, the, the, my preacher t- taught, you know what? Boy, if you miss the rapture, the Antichrist is going to come and either brand 666 on your head or he's going to cut your head off. Now, I probably needed real counseling as a child from the trauma of trying to process all of this. But what it did between me and God was it set a root. When, when, when your performance is what's going to cause your acceptance, that's the root of shame. I don't care about you, the person. I care about the performance. I will accept you if your performance is acceptable. But if your performance is not acceptable, then you're not acceptable. That got set up and deeply rooted in me as a child. And Sunday morning, Sunday night, I was at the altar. I got saved three times a week. Revival services, seven times a week. By that that thinking, I did not understand that the blood of Jesus was stronger than the blood of bull and goats in Hebrews. The blood of bulls and goats could keep you a good Jewish guy at least a year. But the blood of Jesus can't keep me through the week. No one told me. And so I'm trying to get God to like me, get him to keep me, get, get it, just pay attention to me. But the only thing I thought about God was this, boy, everybody else in this church is good. You don't hear anybody else talking about their sin. There's something wrong. You are a pervert. That's what I thought. Uh, I had an older brother. Here's the thing. All of you got older brothers. You don't, don't nod your head because you'll, you'll out yourself, but you know this is true. My brother's four years ahead of me. So when he, would, he was learning about s- s- nasty sex things in fifth and sixth grade, he would come home and tell me in the second, third grade. Uh, and m- many of you were introduced to things, you know, that started planting seeds in, in your head early. Not only that, I was raised on a prison farm. If you think my brother could be filthy and foul, take an inmate that's just from his childhood probably been abused. Man, the things these inmates describe to me, I probably need some counseling. I probably need to get in counseling this week. No child should have heard the perversity and the thing, but these inmates didn't know. I mean, they just talk, they didn't. So I, 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 I'm having all this stuff planted. I'm dealing with all kinds of thoughts and I'm getting saved every eight to 10 minutes. Just as quick as <laughs> But gang, here's the deal. What was getting a grip on me is... This is what I thought God thought. Harvey, it's never going to be good enough. That's what condemnation is. You are condemned. Never going to be good enough. I wanted God. Never going to be good enough. And that thing was setting up, and there's men and women sitting in here right now, and you feel that it'll never be enough. That's shame. It's never going to be enough. Some of you are in marriages where you've hit a point where you say, it's never going to... It'll never, be, it'll never be accepted. It'll never be enough. Man, that thing set up shop inside of me. And I remember I was 18 or 19 years old. I, I'd never heard grace. 
and I'm driving around with a pastor's son. He, he was a bass player. I was a bass player, so we were piling around. We are up at Sam Houston. He was 25, 26 years old, and I'm about to lose my mind. And I say this to him. I said, man, do you ever struggle with lust? 19 years old. And uh, is this too real for y'all? Uh, so, and he, he, he said, and this, he was driving. He said, ha, of course I do. I was like, what? You mean there's two of us in our church that are awful? He said, Randy, there's 10,000 people on, on this campus at Sam Houston. 7,000 of them are half-dressed girls. Of course I struggle with lust. I, I was shocked. I, just his casualness with it, I was like, oh, thank God there's somebody. You know what the truth was? Every single, not everybody wasn't struggling with lust, but every single person in that church had something. But no one was talking honest. And I'm sitting here fighting for my life. I was 23, 24 years old. Somebody handed me a book called The Blood Covenant. The Blood Covenant by Malcolm Smith, a little book. Malcolm described the story of David and Jonathan. It's the first time I'd heard this game. And he said, you know, D David and Jonathan were dear friends. And there came a point where they decided to make a covenant with one another. They each grabbed a knife, slit their hands, sliced an animal in half, and that animal fell in two pieces. They walked in a figure eight to signify never ending, never parting. They rubbed the blood that came out of those, those knife cuts together, just like this, blood running down their elbows. And they made vows, covenant vows. This wasn't wedding, wasn't romantic, wasn't homosexuality, none of the weird stuff that gets talked about like that. This was two men saying, you and I are in covenant. Everything I own now is yours. Everything that's yours is now mine. If you get in a fight, there will be two in that fight, and I'm coming to your rescue. If I get in a fight, and back in that day, if you were going to punch somebody, you need to check their hands because if there was a slice in it, it was going to be a two-for-one deal. They made this covenant, and then they parted, and years went on. Uh, Saul, his dad, and Jonathan both got killed in war. David was off. He came back, and when he was coming back to take over Israel, uh, the son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth, was in, in a maidservant's arms as a baby. And she dropped him, and he was crippled in his legs. But she took him off to a place called Lodibar. David conquers the lands. Years and years go by. Uh, and one day he was sitting, looking at that scar in his hands and remembering, you know, there was a day when I made a covenant with somebody. And he asked his, his servant, Ziba, hey, Ziba, is there anybody left from the house of Saul or Jonathan that I might show grace to, because I made a covenant with Jonathan, I, I owe him. And as Eva said, yeah, there is. There's one called Mephibosheth. He lives in Lodibar. He said, go get him. Well, listen, Mephibosheth was of the bloodline of the previous king. Culturally, what David would have done was kill all the males from the previous kingdom. Mephibosheth knew this, if David ever finds me, 
I'm a dead man. I know that. He couldn't defend himself. He drug himself around the sands of Lodibar, just waiting on the day when he would hear the knock. And sure enough, are you Mephibosheth? He said, I am. He said, the king wants to see you. And Mephibosheth certainly thought, this is it. I knew the day would come, lived longer than I thought, and I can't even defend myself. All right, let's go. They drag him before the king, and he lowers his head, expecting the cold blade of David's sword to do what should have happened. He was an enemy by blood of the existing king. David said, pick him up. Mephibosheth, I want you to know something. From this day forward, you're going to be like one of my sons. It has nothing to do with what you can add to my kingdom because you can't add anything to my kingdom. It has nothing to do with what you've done right or done wrong. See that scar? Me and your daddy made a covenant. And because of a covenant, made before you were ever born. That covenant covered you. And man, when I begin to hear this, that before I was ever born, when I was yet a sinner and an enemy to the king, God, not, I didn't make a covenant with God, God and Jesus made a covenant right there on that cross, made a covenant. And it's not my behavior it's not how good I am or what I can add. It's not my performance. That's not what gets me into the covenant. If I receive Jesus, Jesus is my representative in the covenant. And because of the covenant that was cut, God has said to me, not because of anything you've done or not done, not because, you, not because of your humanness and your nastiness and not because of any good deed you can do, none of that, but because of the righteousness of my son Jesus and your faith to accept him, you get in on the covenant, and I accept you as my own son. When I understood that, the scripture says this about freedom. When you know the truth, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The scripture doesn't say truth will set you free. The scripture says the truth you know. Here's the, the thing. The truth, that was the truth from seven years old for me. But there was a, a pseudo king, the king of shame that was sitting on the throne of my life and enslaving me. And until this truth came, it was there the whole time. Pastor Andy, why would God allow 25 years for this moment? For this right here. It was true the whole time, but the truth hadn't come to me to set me free. So, pastor, does deliverance mean you never feel shame? No, 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 no. It lurks. It's always lurking. My feelings are so familiar. In fact, I thought that in order to feel holy in the altars, you had to feel guilt. They went together. You know what? Here's the thing. Shame still you know, if I fail, it comes up to go, see, I still own you. It does all that. But here's the, here's the thing now. I know how to defeat shame. You know what freedom looks like? 
It isn't never feeling or never being tempted. It's when it does happen, you've got the weaponry. You've got the truth to go, no, you're not going to own me. You're not going to own me. I still have a king. He's, remember, he's the king of all little kings, the Lord of all little lords. Something that David said multiple times there in 2 Samuel, he said, Mephibosheth, you're going to eat at my table. You're going to always eat at my table. And they repeat that multiple times. There was a uh, women's magazine that did a survey and uh, went out to all kinds of thousands of people, men and women. The survey was this question to Americans. What's, what's the one thing you most long to hear? What's the phrase you most long to hear? Brought all these survey answers in, took the top three answers and posted those three answers. The first one was this. You can guess it. I guessed it. I love you. The second one was, I forgive you. The third one, at first I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know what the third one was? Supper's ready. Thousands of people serving. Supper's ready. I thought that. So, you know, I read that. I spent two weird hours that I don't suggest for anybody. I researched the social psychology of dining with, dining with people. The social psychology. At lunch, you can practice this. You know, in all cultures, when you have fellowship, not relationship, fellowship, there's intimacy, there's closeness. You eat with those people. Today, by these studies, if you see a, a, a man and woman sitting with each other, if they both pay Dutch and neither of them eats from the other's plate, they've got issues. It's a fact. If they're eating with each other and one of the other ones eats off of the other's plate, they're closer. If one of them actually feeds the other one, Very close. Had I known this, Sister Stacy's been stealing my French fries since the first date. <laughs> Gang, the, the reason that meant so much for Mephibosheth was I, I don't want to just judicially dismiss charges against you. I want you. I want to have fellowship with you. I was having lunch with somebody or breakfast with somebody this week. Saying, you know what, I've got relationship with many people, but I don't have fellowship with many because I don't eat many meals with them. You know, God built you that way. He built us this way. You sit down with the people you really want to have fellowship with. Jesus said this, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open to me, I will come into him and Dine with him. That's more than just judicially and legally. 
set you free. I, I want you to be, I want you to be my son. This meal, this meal that we take together, think about what this meal means. This is God's way of saying to everybody here, I love you. I forgive you. Let's eat. <laughs> I love you. I forgive you. Now let's fellowship. That's what this meal means. Gang, would you stand to your feet? Jesus was on the cross, uh, Hebrews 2, Hebrews 12, verse 2. It says, we set our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And then there's this, this phrase, despising the shame. Despising the shame. The word despise, it's the word kataphraneo. It doesn't just mean go look the other way. It's actually a sort of a militant word. It means to disesteem. It means there's a bully that's acting like and intimidating you for something, but nobody's had the guts to go, I call your bluff. Stupid jerk. I tell you, you're not intimidating to me at all. In fact, you sit down and shut up. No, I know you're scared. I know you're scared of me. You better get off of that. I'm the king of this hill. It's to confront the bully that because of deception and intimidation, that's the throne that shame sits on. I didn't know the truth. So because of a lie or deception, I didn't know. But when truth came and dethroned it, Jesus came and kataphraneo slapped that bully and said, you want to jack with me? Then do it. Hit me. Hit me. I dare... Until shame said, you're right, what, what, I, what, I'm crazy, I'm sorry, and back down. And for everything that feels so strongly in charge of some area of your life, what happened on that cross, what's happening in, the, in your spirit, if you're born again, if you're saved, if you were one that opened the door and let him come in and dine with you, the spirit of the living God is inside of you. And there is, if you will, kataphraneo power to face down whatever has got you in bondage, despising, disesteem. You are not that big a deal. Counterfeit king, that's what you are. The king of all kings came and broke the power of that on the cross. I want us to receive in this meal. Our father didn't just want to judicially cleanse us. See, we are. But we are now sons and daughters and anybody that messes with you is messing with the king's son, the king's daughter. And he doesn't take it lightly. I want you right now just to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what is it in me? And right now I bring it and subject it to you, King Jesus, your authority. Lord Jesus, I thank you right now that there's freedom being wrought in people's life. Not that it goes away, but the authority and our obligation to just keep living this way, that's broken today because of the power of Jesus and what you did on the cross for us. 
the healing stripes that you took on your back and the fact that the same spirit that raised your dead body, dead and beaten body, from the grave back to wholeness, that same bringing back to wholeness spirit is in us. And because of that, his power can orchestrate our healing. Lord, men and women right now are hearing this truth for the first time. And, and cell doors are being kicked open. Prison doors are being broken open. I break the power of lust, of pornography, of depression, of discouragement. I break addiction in the name of Jesus. Alcohol addiction, gambling addiction, entertainment addiction. I break the, 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 the king of pride that covers all things that are broken right now. I expose it, Lord, to you, Lord. You know the secrets of our heart. Thank you that we are safe. And Lord Jesus Christ, right now, you're king over anything that is acting as if it has authority over us. It does not. So we crown you king and we thank you that everything that would try to captivate us and enslave us is broken because of the work of the cross and the rising, you rising from the grave and overcoming it. We receive the power of this table now in Jesus' name. Gang, let's take the bread together. Lord Jesus, we may still feel the presence and the pull of urges and things, but you said to David, David said to you, you prepare this table in the presence of my enemies. The enemies don't go away. The enemies have to sit and watch and recognize, I'm eating with God. If, if you dare mess with me, I'm a son of the living God. I am in fellowship with God. God, that you would invite us to a table to fellowship with you. Thank you so much. I thank you that the blood of Jesus conquers every, it ends every argument against us, every lie against us. We overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony and not loving our life unto death. The blood of, of, of Jesus speaks louder to our defense than any, any vengeance or anything against us. The blood of Jesus ends every argument. And I speak now the power of the blood of Jesus setting your children free. Lord, every person that has felt like a slave is no longer a slave because of this blood. We are sons and daughters of God. And Lord, we celebrate this meal and the victory it procures for us now in Jesus' Jesus' name. Let's receive it together again. Let's sing this anthem. We'll end, end our service, but let's sing an anthem over yourself for your freedom. God bless you, gang. Thanks so much for listening to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Keep up with everything going on at The Crossing by liking us on Facebook, following us on Instagram, or subscribing to our YouTube channel. You can visit us online at www.thecrossing.cc. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.